0: Thank you very much, and uh, thanks for Capital Link for uh, accepting the idea of inviting four of the major charters in the dry bulk market to give their perspectives in energy transition, in uh, freight markets, in what can be done, how the benefit could be shared among participants, uh, people who invest in the market, people who are moving ahead with the new regulations, other people who are bit slow to move with the new regulations. So I make a very quick introduction and we'll go into the subject. Uh, we have here with us uh, Mark Thompson from Olam International. Uh, o- Olam is a major food agri-product business founded in eight, 1989. They operate in over 30 countries across five continents with uh, 9,600 employees. Olam trades around 38 million tons of Cargo gear and operates a fleet of around 70 vessels. Mark Thompson is a senior freight trader, operating from Neon, Switzerland. Next to him is uh, Samuel Jäger from Mercuria. He's a freight trader. Mercuria is one of the leading independent energy and commodity trading companies, founded in Geneva in 2004. Operates in over 50 countries with 1,100 employees. Mercuria trades 15 million tons of cargo a year, and operates f- around 40 uh, long-period vessels. Next to him is a major charterer, Pat- Patrick uh, Le- Legres from Viterra from Rotterdam. Global head of uh, he is a global head of chartering. Viterra is a leader in the agricultural commodity sector, headquartered in Rotterdam. With over 270 storage and handling facilities worldwide, Vitera Integrated Agricultural Network connects producers and consumers, offering sustainable and quality control products. Vitera operates uh, around 70 million of tons a year and uh, runs at any given time over a 200 vessel fleet. And last but not least, Alex Sass, Vice President. Vice President of EP Resources based in Zook. It's a rapidly expanding commodities trading and shipping company established in twenty nineteen. EP Resources procures LNG, coal, biomass and freight for EP holdings power facilities located in Germany, Italy, France and the UK. With a focus on value creation and strategic partners, EP resources aims to meet the evolving needs of clients needs across the various commodity markets. So thank you all of you to come to Cyprus. Some of you are coming for the first time, some, some of you have been here before. And it's very interesting, you know, in, in panels like this to make it a little bit more productive, uh, to hear people who pay the money. So far all these panels we hear people either service providers or people who who have services to offer or ourselves ship owners who are here and we sell uh, freight and we have the ships but we don't hear the people who have the cargo so we'll start uh, with some uh, uh, questions we promise to keep it simple and not uh, very very specific more general questions so we are with uh, Mark of Olam how do you see the most significant opportunities and challenges for dry bulk industry in the, in the coming years and how is your company preparing for them?:
1: We'll get there. Okay. First of all, it's a pleasure to be here in Cyprus, and uh, we look forward to seeing this island playing a, a growing role in the future of shipping. It's, um, it's a great island, great location, uh, and so it's great to be here. Um, we see a number of challenges in shipping, and I think uh, we can see, first of all, the, the growing disintegration, let's say, of certain common rules. Uh, and I think the regulatory burden and the, uh, the, comp- the complexity of shipping is going to grow into the future. Uh, one of the areas of concern to me in particular, I come from Geneva, where the United Nations one of the bases of the United Nations is is that the international world order seems to be crumbling under greater pressure from the people who were previously guaranteeing it. I would say in the first Cold War, if you can call it that, uh, most of the players were in favor of keeping the United Nations relevant. Uh, and in what is today the geopolitical tensions that we have, it seems that most of the central players of the United Nations are actually quite happy to see it playing, taking a secondary role. And so I think this could impact us in terms of both the uncertainty of economic exchanges And it can also impact us in terms of how we develop uh, regulations through the IMO, which is obviously United Nations body, in order to implement them uh, worldwide. And so I think that theme of greater uncertainty, greater volatility, and also uh, things like, not the closure of the Suez Canal, that's not correct, but the the tensions in the Red Sea, which have led to a dislocation of the fleet, which is creating actually a very healthy market today. um, I think those things will be uh, more of a feature of the market in, in the future. I hope that answered the question, by the
0: way. Yes, thank you. And uh, we go to Mercuria, to Samuel. How do you perceive the overall outlook of, for the dry bulk market in the next 12 months, or 24, if you want, and what are the factors influencing your assessment?
2: Uh, I think in the key risks, um, you know, we look at macro and China. Uh, in a world that is supposedly becoming more transparent we have a feeling that China is somehow becoming less transparent. Uh, It's difficult to read into it. So, you know, the standard disclaimers about being wrong and predictions, you know, apply. Uh, But in general, um, our opinion is uh, rather positive at the moment. Uh, We have a lot of inefficiencies. um, And we have high utilization of the fleet, especially when we go into the Cape size sector uh, where that is the most extreme, let's call it that, it reflects in the asset prices. Um, for quite a few years the iron ore complex was undersupplied. Um, so basically for every ton of iron ore there was a buyer and uh, Vale, a major producer, was consistently underperforming their own targets. Uh, we see signs of that easing. I'm not talking specifically of this Q1, which has been quite strong, mainly because of dry weather, but just in general. Um, there's also what we think uh, is quite a lot of uh, tonne-mile growth uh, that, that is coming maybe from West Africa and places like that. Uh, that makes us quite positive. Uh, on the sub-CAPE sector, um, uh, again, it's more of the trade inefficiencies uh, that, uh, that are bringing us some tailwinds. Um, but there is a little bit more Let's say we're a bit more cautious uh, because if we look at uh, the, the supply of vessels, uh, it's not quite as tight as uh, as in the Cape market. Um, if you ask uh, if you ask our analytics team, you know, are there enough Ultramaxes in five years? Uh, the answer is yes, uh, but are there enough post Panamaxes? Well, maybe not so much. So uh, that is uh, something that we we, we look at. Uh, in in more detail Uh, in general we don't really like trying to predict demand for shipping uh, because if you're going to operate with assumptions and inputs um, they don't necessarily translate as you know this requires x amount of ships Uh, it's much easier to go and do a prediction about supply we can look at yard capacity we can make some basic assumptions on demolitions and we can get to figures. Uh, the demand side is, is much trickier. Uh, but we are optimistic um, for the future because of some of those key trends that we see.
0: Thank you. Patrick, uh, Vitera, uh, I know you are, you are busy, you are very busy. and. Uh, I know you, you are finalizing a merge with a huge company, Bungi and Vitera, creating one, if not the biggest, uh, agricultural company in the world. Uh, how is your company addressing environmental concerns and promoting sustainability within the dry bulk uh, industry?
3: Uh, thank you very much for uh, for the invitation, uh, Police. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here and to be on the panel in front of uh, a lot of ship owners. Um, we are indeed a bit busy, but of course, I cannot uh, say anything about it. Uh, but more news to come, probably uh, second half of the year. Um, in regards to your question, um, our main clients, the, the buyers of our, uh, our goods, our grain and our meals and our beans, uh, they don't really, uh, they are not so, uh, how do you say that? that, they are not care about the emissions or the environment. They, they are hungry or they need uh, food for their animals and for them the environment is not in the first place. Uh, of course, we as a company uh, like to, uh, to reduce emissions and we care about the environment, but our buyers are not paying for it. So we have decided to, uh, to take the back seat. We will not be uh, early adapters, uh, but we do want to be fast followers. Um, so, what that actually means at the moment is that we try to capitalize on the long relations we have with the ship owners. Uh, that has been a, a strategical decision already for the last 20-25 years to, to build very strong relationships and, and yeah, get in discussion with the owners to see what we can do together. Uh, I've heard uh, this afternoon already uh, people talking about transparency, cooperation, getting closer to each other. Uh, that is really what we're standing for. Um, And that has resulted so far in uh, in joint uh, projects where we've uh, Invested together in energy-saving appliances in improving hull coatings uh, And optimizing uh, the arrivals of the ship to our terminals. So by dynamic uh, dynamic speeding basically to the load or discharge port Um, So yeah, we like to take the baby steps and uh, build a constructive relations, and invest together, uh, but um, being a fast follower instead of being early adapter.
0: Thank you. And to Alex uh, of AP Resources. Now, you've been an early mover. I know it uh, firsthand. You've took uh, cheaply a couple of our new buildings. Uh, So you must have known something I didn't know at the time. So given the Broader economic trends, including potential shifts of, of global economic growth. How do you anticipate th- these trends influencing the demand for dry bulk tonnage across uh, various commodities, especially in coal that you are an expert? Yeah, um,
4: I think Samuel talked about the supply side already and we, we fully agree with that view. Um yard capacity is limited, it's taken up by LNG, uh, it's taken up by tankers, containers, so driver capacity is limited um the order book is pretty fixed until 2027 so i think we all you know when we talk about decent markets i think that's what everyone is looking at and agreeing at at the same time Um, on the demand side again it's much more tricky Uh, we see a lot of geopolitical disruptions at the moment um, which you know which means mostly the suez canal the panama canal which certainly has a short-term short-term benefit to the market Um, we do do see some trends at the, in, the, in, the, um, in the wider picture. If you look at um, coal trade expanded last year, quite, quite a bit, driven by uh, you know, over 60% jump into, by coal imports into China. Of course, we're, talking, we're sitting here and talking about decarbonization. So you know, there's still a C1 coal, you know, just thermal coal trade of 1 billion, 1.1 billion per year. Um, you know if, if if we as a society and the world are concrete about decarbonization that should reduce over time on the other hand there's clear trends where in Europe in the Western world uh, we you know the world wants to get out of coal in in Asia and the developing world that is much more complicated it's still the cheapest source of um, of energy and there's still some growth in terms um, in, in China and in India and in, in the rest of Asia so um, in the long term, you probably have to assume that thermal coal trade will will fade at one point of time, uh, whether there's peak gonna be you know, last year, this year, next year, we're not really sure, but over time, that should fade. Um, there is some, there is some, or some you know, with Europe not taking any more thermal coal in, in the near term, trade flows are changing. There's coal from the Atlantic Basin much more going to Asia today. Um, the only place where you basically get more coal supply in the world is, is coming from Indonesia. That's where you see the big growth over the next coming years, which is more short in mind. But it will also more benefit the, the smaller sectors, the, the, the maxes and the Super-Muxes, Uh while maybe on capes, sort of the traditional routes, you will see demand uh, disappearing on that side. Um, you know, and, and in terms of Chinese iron ore demand or overall iron ore demand, I, I was joking that uh, our analysts uh, have been have been calling for peak iron ore demand or steel demand in China since about 2013, and uh, it's uh, it still keeps growing. So even in an environment where the um, you know where the Chinese economy and the real estate sector has been very poor, so that so that part is a little bit uh, more more tricky to predict.
0: Thank you, Alex. And uh, going into the subject of uh, of uh, clean energy transition you know i see a few ship owners in this room that uh, have already invested money towards uh, energy transition ordering dual fuel ships Uh, i will start with patrick how are environmental regulations like carbon trading schemes energy and carbon intensity indicator factors influencing uh, your preferences uh, for certain type of ships do you take this indicators into account or you just fix any ship that is presented to you?
3: So what was the last part of the question?
0: Yeah, the part was uh, how are the carbon uh, trading schemes and uh, the energy and the carbon intensity indicators influencing your chartering uh, decisions? Do you, do you ask for those? Do you check those? Yeah, of course. In a ship. Yeah, When
3: we yes. when we sell freight internally, we, we make the calculations for on, on emissions. And um, we we always have had a strong view on um, on fixing very economical tonnage. So in that respect, our strategy has not changed. It's just uh, the the more fuel efficient ships are, are also performing um, even better now with the new schemes. What I do think what will change in the end, uh, and, and that's maybe a bit of a statement, but that's my my personal uh, idea is that in the end. In order to reduce emissions significantly, trade flows need to change. Uh, currently, we are still importing in Europe a lot of canola from Australia, whereas this canola is also growing in Poland. So at some stage, the uh, the taxation on the uh, emissions should be at such a level that uh, traders will decide not to buy from Australia anymore, uh, but from Poland. I'm a little bit afraid to tell that here, because that means less ton mile demand. Um, but that's my personal view on uh, on on the emissions.
0: Yes, thank you, and uh, that's why we like Australia canola ourselves. <laughs> we don't like the Polish one. So the same uh, question goes to Mark from Olam. Uh, to what extent do environmental and sustainability considerations influence your chartering decisions?
1: Well, I have to join Patrick in in his way of looking at things. Again, I'm an economist, so what i like to see is if there are market externalities, of course we need regulations to try and integrate those market externalities into the market. I'm always very dubious about government intervention. There's this law, it's a conservative law, which is the law of unintended consequences, is when you establish a rule, typically the effect of that rule will be either counterproductive or completely different to what you're trying to establish. So what I like to see is Economic ships are also ecological ships. And so, innovation, continue to innovate. We're here to support innovation to get ships that are obviously more efficient. And that leads, especially in today's fuel price environment, to uh, a better distribution of resources and a more efficient market. So, what I like to see, what I want to encourage here in with all the ship owners who are present here, is continue to innovate, continue to come with, with good ideas. Uh, The only word of caution and again, it's a personal note uh, The only word of caution is that it has to make economic sense as well I think it's it's interesting if you have a pool of resources and you want to test different things That's called innovation by the way. You don't know what the results going to be Um, You test it out. It works great. It doesn't work move on to the next idea. That's that's a great way to move forward What I would be very careful about is to jump into a very expensive project that has no economic uh, justification, or very unlikely economic justification, just on the basis of, uh, particularly with the uncertainty around regulation. I go again. I go back to the IMO. If we had an EU ETS that was at the world level, it'd be so much easier to implement it and then adapt to those rules. But because the IMO hasn't come out with a rule that satisfied the Europeans, the Europeans have come out with their own. The UK is planning on coming out with their own. The US is planning on coming out with their own, which is more from what I can see, uh, a trade protectionist uh, measure than uh, an ecological measure. So if we could have one set of rules to integrate the externalities, then we could look at innovation in order to make our markets the most efficient and, and, and the most perform- best performing possible.
0: Thank you, Mark. Uh, i go to Alex. Will you be looking to leverage technoc- technological advancements such as wind-assisted propulsion, ultra-low friction paints, energy efficiency device and improvement in ship design by partnering up uh, with owners to enhance the susta- sustainability of your charter fleet?
4: Yes, for sure. I mean, um, we, um, First, I think there's no obvious solution in terms of replacing existing fuel so until that solution is not there we do believe very much in the conventional type and making the conventional type more more efficient and you know by having the latest design fuel efficient ships you're reducing emissions and we of course we're working with our owners together to to be to have the ships we're getting as 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 efficient as possible we're going to take a few new buildings out of japan on long-term time charters and we are basically we're financing the um, the low-friction um, paint for the ship owner. And so things like that, where you can work together with the ship owner to have the latest design, fuel-efficient ships, that's, that's what we strongly believe in, and that's what we've been doing, and, and we intend to, to continue to do so.
0: Thank you. we go a little bit into the geopolitical situation, especially Red Sea. Uh, I remember in 2017, when we, we Had here the same place. The first capital link of Limassol 2017 was really depressing time after 2015, 2016, 30-year low of dry bulk market and of other markets, container ships as well. We had the freight market in February. I don't know why we are doing this conference always on February, which is the low part of the market. It was the market at the time was 6000 dollars a day and we were happy that it was not 3 and it was 6 and we were not celebrating but we were enjoying now in this february we have the the paradox of having panama canal closed for dry bulk shipping none of the bulk carriers can pass from panama canal with the slots we have read see that uh, we have the problem with the hooties, and uh, many owners are diverting and the i believe the effect of diversion will be shown after 2 months is not shown now we have a freight market of uh, already $17,000 a day in february so my question is and it goes to all of you and you can answer in any in any order you like <laughs> is, is how are we going to see the freight market developing two, two months from now? When you have uh, uh, the flow through the Red Sea reducing by around uh, uh, we estimate around uh, two hundred and twenty ships a week. Usually through the Red Sea on Balkans alone is three hundred and fifty ships passing from the Red Sea. Now it's less than one hundred and forty a week. So how do you, you you expect the freight market to develop? in May or June of this year.
3: Maybe I should comment on the grain, and then uh, the mineral guys can say something on the minerals. Funny enough, uh, with the disruptions we see in Red Sea and Panama, uh, we also still have this war going on in Ukraine, but Ukraine exports on grain are record. So Nikolaev is still not uh, not operative, but all the other ports in Ukraine are exporting, and the exports out of the Ukraine on grains are bigger than before, before the war. I think that is a very interesting fact to, to note. Um, but 70% of the goods from the Ukraine, and also from, from, from Russia in total, 70% of that business is going into Europe. Um, so the Red Sea has not that much impact uh, uh, on, on the commodity flows at the moment. Uh, flows from, uh, from the continent to the Far East, um, there we do see a change of uh, of, of schedule. So there we, we are rerouting the vessels uh, via Cape of Good Hope. Uh, same counts for the uh, expensive canola from Australia uh, that's also being routed via Cape of Good Hope. So there we, we do see an impact, but uh, as far as we can judge, the impact is, is, uh, is limited at this stage. And um, with the higher freight spreads, I believe that... the Uh, trading uh, or the the commodity flows will adjust and adapt. So instead of buying, uh, if the PG is buying wheat from from Russia, they will buy from Australia, for example. So there is an impact, but it's not major.
1: I'd just like to add something about the capes um, and and also on on Panamax. It seems that the Ships going through the Red Sea and through the Suez Canal, and mainly the inbound ships to the North Atlantic, we've had a, a, a disruption to the fleet because the North Atlantic was sending a lot of ships on front haul, and that was not being replenished, um, and so therefore we had a very tight North Atlantic. It's not the case today, um, and what we see also is that the the front haul from the U.S. East Coast or U.S. Gulf is no longer going via the via the Suez Canal. So I think there is a ton mile impact. It's probably I would hesitate to say it's bigger on capes than on panamaxes, but it's definitely there. And what we've seen now is that there's, the South Atlantic has remained surprisingly busy, actually, um, given the period that we are in. We're not quite in the in the South Atlantic season yet. Um, we don't believe that the the lineups are going to explode yet. Uh, that's something that normally happens, but the t- for the time being, they look somewhat uh, under control. That would be another bit of fizz in the market that would make the market even stronger if the lineup started to increase. We don't see that happening quite yet. Um, and so overall, we're, I would say we're quite positive uh, on the market. Uh, I don't see the Red Sea situation getting solved very quickly. Uh, and we again have these big disruptions where the Pacific fleet has over probably to the South Atlantic. Looks like the South Atlantic has demand to absorb most of that. The Pacific has now rallied. And so you do, you do have, especially when fuel prices are expensive and the canals are closed, you have those disruptions to supply, which then create those pockets of strength and that lead market to being well, incredibly tight in, in terms of the Cape Q1. I don't think I've seen a Cape Q1 at this level in my entire life, actually. Uh, and that's also spilt over into Panamax's and we're close to splitting economics in the North, uh, North Atlantic. So overall, I'm, I'm quite positive.
2: Alex?
4: yeah maybe just to add the um, it's certainly supportive on the on the red Sea situation. i think the the only one word of caution I would add is that as the grain demand switches from the northern hemisphere to the southern hemisphere, that impact should somehow wane over the next couple of weeks. Um, we agree there's a time delay in in the ships which have been you know proceeding through there over the last couple of months um so it would he- help to support the market, but we probably have seen the the peak of the disruption at least in the short term on that one we would think.
0: Some, some, please.
2: Um, I'd agree with what what Alex just said, and it, it, the calculations for <coughs> sorry uh, US East Coast going east, which is uh, something that we do a lot. If you route it via Suez or, or Cape Good Hope, it's not a major uh, difference, even in terms of uh, duration. Uh, maybe perhaps more important for some of the backholes, uh, some of the capacity for the Atlantic to replenish. Uh, but uh, but as was just said, once you switch from north to focus to the south, uh, that should be less important. Uh, so, But I, I think you are correct saying that you will only see the effect in two months. Um, we knew about Panama disruption coming well into last year, M- mid-endish last year. You know, Q3, we knew it was happening. Uh, but we only saw the effect of that quite a bit later. And actually, for a while, we were sitting here being like, "Why is there no rally?" You know It did eventually come, but you know, why is it not coming?" Uh, and it's just that the the, the lag effect for, for, for that tonnage situation to tighten up can sometimes just take longer. Um, and then it needs to be also reviewed in a, uh, within an overall sort of supply um, mechanic, and you know how much congestion there is. Uh, if at the same time as, as this event, you have you know very long lineups in Brazil and ports that are over congested in China, et cetera, et cetera, it does all add up and at some point it really tightens up. Uh, but of course, if you only have one or maybe two of those happening at the same time, you might not have the as explosive as a, of, a, of a reaction.
0: Thank you, thank you. I have to say, of course, that I'm a little bit more optimistic than all four of you. <laughs> <laughs> having having been here for a number of years, I never remember February, month of February, market of seventeen thousand dollars a day. I'm expecting the effect of Red Sea coupled with the with the, with Panama Canal closure and, and also the export season of South America, which appears to be as strong as ever, including Argentina this time. And the new president of Argentina, who is uh, who is uh, promoting the export of commodities uh, down there and trying to to kill off the unions and all these uh, people down there, I'm expecting a market of at least twenty-five thousand dollars by June, July this year. I don't know if anyone shares from you, with with me the same optimism, or I'm I sound a bit more optimistic than you.
1: I think we're about to do a trade here.
3: <laughs> I think uh, just to comment on Argentina uh, the, the last year was exceptional dry so the, al- almost no export but the additional uh, corn export out of Argentina will go at cost uh, from the US so it's not really adding uh, that much additional volume so we'll
0: go from the. US to China <laughs> and there is no Panama Canal so it's five thousand thousand Miles longer distance to go to China, so anyway, now we'll go to a a question I would like to address to all of you. And I know I promise not to make any tricky questions, (laughs) but I'm tempted from the fact that it's four of four of our close charters on this panel, and I have to ask the question. It's a bit tricky, I know, and you can give me a certain number or or any number. So. Let's assume, and because we make this uh, panel a bit practical and not so much theoretical. Uh, let's assume you have a, a vessel under your period charter for five years, and halfway through the charter, two years remaining, comes due for dry dock and spare survey. And the owner comes and proposes to you that I want to make an environmental improvement on this vessel and put the duct and the new paints and the extra cost of these investments are uh, in the region of $300,000. Out of these investments on the remaining two years of your charter, we guarantee you by a reduction of consumption of two tonnes, that you will be receiving 600,000 in benefit. How will you respond to this proposal? Will you pay the owner the $300,000 incremental cost to do this investment? Or you would say this is none of our business. you take care of it. Or how each one of you will respond to to that. You have to remember we're living in a world that we have to think of ways to protect the environment. every ton of fuel saved is uh, reducing CO2 emissions by three tons. If you save uh, in 250 days in a year, sea days, 500 tons, you reduce uh, emissions from that ship alone by. 1500 tons of co2 so the owner is asking you to pay 300 and you will gain 600 every, uh, out of the remaining two years will you do the investment or you consider his own as a uh, headache
1: I just want to jump in first before my uh, colleagues do uh, you booked if, yeah. if I'm going to pay three hundred thousand get six hundred thousand back and also help. Uh, reduced emissions, then that, that's perfectly fine. I, but the only problem is um, what some owners may and obviously excluding present company uh, may ask is for the full 600 and then that becomes a bit
0: trickier. No, we are asking for the incremental cost only. Okay. The 300. Okay. So, some.
2: Yeah, I think that deal is a no-brainer. So, so I, I, I think we would do that. In general, um, if we can... Um, if we can calculate it, and if it looks like it will make sense, even if it's not an extra 300, uh, if it looks like it can make sense, we're, we're generally happy to support that. Uh, we have uh, deals with ship owners. Uh, for instance, You know, we've had discussions about installing scrubbers, uh, about doing certain works in dry dock. And if there is enough duration in, in the CP for it to make sense, and if, very importantly, if we have confidence in the management of the counterparty that we're dealing with, uh then it's uh and and if the numbers make sense then we would uh, i don't see why we wouldn't do it
0: patrick
3: i i wouldn't do it
0: (laughs) please explain the reasons if if any if any
3: i think it's much better to share the investment and share the upside I think uh, looking at the long-term relations and also uh, the, the, the capital we have to put together to do this, in the end we are a trading company. We are not an uh, investment company. So I think we would go for a split. So split the investment and split the upside.
0: Yes, split the investment the upside is okay. But since the owner is guaranteeing two tons, which guarantees 300 benefit in a year, and you have the ship for two years, you get 600. So you don't, get, you don't invest one to get one. You invest one and you get two. So you won't take that deal.
3: From from you I would just I don't need a guarantee. Yes, no, I don't no, need a guarantee. It will be so.
0: guaranteed. It will be guaranteed because we the, have. Pay, the pain the makers guarantee, so you will guarantee. So you payment. don't
3: guarantee but the pain company. Uh, no, guarantees. And
0: me I guarantee because I, I get it from them and I have it on the other ships. The question is you will you accept it or, or you may f- you have a reason to say no to that that sort of income which also helps the
3: environment, of course. No, no. yes, we are interested in those deals at the right terms, but I think what I said is that we like to share everything.
0: Yes, thank you. Alex? Yes, as I
4: said before, we actually have done those deals with the Japanese um, partners we have on, on new building vessels where we are, we are paying for the anti-friction, certain anti-friction paint we want, and knowing over well, five years we will get the benefit of that. I think it comes down to trust to your counterparty. We do it with people we know and people we feel confident that they will deliver. Uh, we would probably not do it with everyone, but with people we know and we have relationship and, and existing vessels on, on the water, we certainly would look at these deals as long as it makes economic sense of course. Yes, and of
0: course the owner will be liable to deliver what he has promised and with evidence so that uh, this uh, saving is there. so. I believe that we all should work together in things that make money for all of us, and also protect the environment. Into accepting those those sort of, uh, of uh, proposals, I think that um, the, we all invested here, and some ship owner friends in uh, dual fuel ships. We don't know if we will get the money back uh, when the ships are delivered, or after five years, or even after ten years, and we don't know if the green Methanols and the other fuels will be available in 2030 or 2035. But the small things that we can do, we should work together, I believe, and and and, implement them as soon as possible. This is what what I believe. I take also. I make one. Yes, please, Mark.
1: Sorry, if I could just bounce on something. A couple of my colleagues said they would do it with someone that they trust. And I think, uh, and I'm gonna make myself very unpopular here and I apologize. Um, if speed and consumption clauses were not as ridiculously unenforceable as they are, <laughs> we wouldn't need to mention trust. Um, I'll tell you a true story. I, I received, I actually charted the ship in the end, um, but I received a description with you know, even keel, only good weather days, no, ex, no extrapolation, all the usual tricks of the trade. And I actually went back to the ship owner saying, Given that speed and consumption description, why don't we just add without guarantee? I, as the charter said, just add without guarantee. The reason I asked for that is because my operations department gets very angry with me when I agree with, the, with these clauses. And in strong markets, you agree with the clauses that are proposed by the owners. In weaker markets, you can try and negotiate those clauses. It's market dependent. But at least with a without guarantee, my operations department just left me alone and said, well, it's not guaranteed anyway, so it doesn't matter. And so my invitation to all of you, particularly ship owners, is if, um, if we want to make these investments uh, in, in fuel efficiency, let's try also to have better speed and consumption clauses. There we are. I'm
0: now officially the most unpopular person here. <laughs> That's that's a fair comment. Of course, we we will we cannot dictate weather or currents, and these are well documented these days. And you have the weather reports from very sophisticated. We work based these weather reports. When you make a trip in winter through Cape of Good Hope, from let's say, assume, East Coast, South America, in winter, crossing Cape of Good Hope, going into China. I, I doubt if the good weather, the definition of good weather, uh, uh, will be will be met in any in more than twenty or thirty percent of the trip. I doubt it. I doubt it, because you have a south and uh, south and Atlantic, then you have Cape of Good Hope, then you have uh, tropical storms in the Indian Ocean. Then, uh, as soon as you cross uh, Singapore, a few days before Singapore, you may have good weather. As soon as you cross Singapore, you have uh, all sort of typhoons and other things in the other part of the world. So, it's by definition very difficult to, to in the routes that the ships are doing to find uh, what is defined as good weather in uh, and. Uh, so I mean, there are things practical that we can do, and the saving is there, and we should uh, share the benefit if someone proposes this thing to you, to see it positively and not negatively. That ah, the owner is uh, getting the pain for the remaining uh, three years of his dry dog period for free, and uh, since you save the money, you should invest there and get uh, and get the benefit. So i thank you all very much for your participation you know every time we try to make it a little bit more interesting for the for the audience uh, we need to make all these panels very practical and here are people who don't necessarily agree with what ship owners say i don't say that we are sense and that we 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 are uh, the advocates of the environment and that we do everything correctly but we are at, the ship owners are trying to do things in the right way and improve their operations because we are under the spotlight. We're under the spotlight. Especially listed companies We have to deliver the goods and we have to show how we deliver the goods. So it's a big challenge. I don't know how the private companies will manage in 10 years, in five, 10 years to prove that they are doing things in the right way. And that's a subject for another panel to discuss the difference between public and private owners in the years to come. But I thank you sincerely from from the bottom of my heart for coming all the way from Switzerland and from Holland to Cyprus. I know connecting flights were not good and all these things, but we really appreciate because you give an added flavor to this conference. Thank you very much.